This is the last Sunday of August. This is the last Sunday that we're in our series on status, called Status. Trying to see ourselves as God sees us, so that we might see others as God sees other people. And that we might have a burden for others as God has a burden for others. And that we might reach out and love others as God loves others. And so that we might minister, be used by God to involve ourselves in the lives of others just as God so desires to do. I don't want there to be any confusion about why we have had this series on status and why we so are looking forward to our series beginning next week on the greatest of these is love as we spend 40 days together talking about love as a church family. I want you to know why we felt God leading us in this direction. Let me tell you first why not. It's not so that we could increase our participation in life groups. That's not why we did this. It's not to create some kind of excitement or energy in our church that we felt was lacking. That had nothing to do with why God has us where he has us and what we're studying. It's not so that our church would grow in attendance. That's not it at all. But... It's because we, as individuals and as a church family, by experiencing God unleashing His power in us and through us, could go to another level spiritually. We could grow spiritually. We could love Him more. We could experience Him more. We could know Him more. We could be changed by Him. We could go to a a deeper place of intimacy with the God who created us. That's what was behind all of that. We believe that, that in order to experience God more, to know Him better, to go to a greater, deeper place of intimacy with Him, that God's M.O. for doing that is us giving of ourselves to other people. In other words, having a servant's kind of heart, just like Jesus did. That we might have a, a heart and a desire that's motivated by the Spirit within us and by the love that He has put in us, that that we would have a heart and a desire to, to, to serve our community, to serve our neighbors, serve them, minister to them, our co-workers, our families. Really, any that we would cross paths with that needed a hand, that needed some help that needed some ministry in our lives. And we're trying to understand as we we go through this series and and we'll continue with this kind of focus in our love series that 
that the greatest need of all of those community, neighbors, coworkers, families, people that we cross paths with, that the greatest need in their life is spiritual. Now, it may manifest itself in their life by their, their marriage crumbling, but their need there is spiritual. Do you believe that? It, it may manifest itself in their lives through, through finances, but the, the real need there is spiritual. It may manifest itself in their lives through some kind of, of physical illness or physical sickness or, or some diagnosis that they received. But I want you to know this morning, listen to me folks, the great need there is spiritual. Because we are spiritual beings in this human experience. As opposed to human beings in a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings. And God ministers to us and God heals us and God frees us and God protects us and God provides for us in the spiritual realm. God provides answers to questions in the spiritual realm. And so we have to, to understand and embrace this idea that if we're going to minister to others and care for others and love for others, that their greatest need is spiritual. They might experience that spirituality by a practical meeting of needs. But the greatest need is spiritual. What I want us all to be able to believe is that God wants to use us. He wants to use you. He wants to use me. He, he wants to use us to bring about his healing in the lives of other people. That's his MO. That's what he's been doing for centuries. It's not that he needs us to bring about healing in the lives of others. I think more so, it's that we need him to use us to bring about healing in the lives of others. There's just something that happens in our experience, in our relationship with God, when we surrender ourselves and allow Him to use us in ministry to other people. Whether that ministry is a smile and, the pat, and a pat on the back, or that ministry is sac sacrificially giving to a, to a financial need, or anything that's in between there, there is something about doing that that takes us to a deeper place in our relationship with God. A deeper place of intimacy. A deeper knowledge. I, I, I believe as well that when we minister together, it brings us to a deeper place of relationship with those we minister with. 
That's why I believe that certainly one of the functions of a life group, a small group, a community group, ought to be ministry. So that the group grows in their intimacy with God, their knowledge of God, their experience with God, and they grow in their intimacy and their knowledge and their experience with one another. And they grow closer together. God wants to use you. We see this in the life of Gideon. God comes to Gideon and he says, I want to use you. Just as he comes to each and every one of us this morning. Each and every one of us here. And if you're thinking to yourself, I hear you, everybody here but me, you're Gideon. You're Gideon. I'm Gideon. I can relate to Gideon. Gideon's people, the Israelites, are in bondage, in need of healing. They have been humiliated by the Midianites for seven years. Seven years. After seven years of this humiliation, this this plundering, they cried out to God. I think that's kind of where it started, this incredible miracle of Gideon. They, they humbled themselves and they cried out to God. And God, in order to heal them, in order to deliver them, in order to bring them freedom, in order to have ministry in their lives, chose to use an individual. I'm going I'm to use somebody. He didn't have to do it that way. That's been God's MO. God wants to use you that way, a miraculous way, an unexplainable way, a supernatural way. God wants to use you like that today. And he comes to Gideon and he says, Hello, Gideon, you mighty warrior. And Gideon says, you are not talking to me. I'm no mighty warrior. Can you relate? He says, Gideon, I'm going to use you to be a rescuer for your people, my people. And Gideon says, I am the weakest of the weak. Of all of the clan, we're the weakest. Of all of the clan, my family is the weakest. Of all of my family, I'm the weakest in the family. I think that's a great place to be when you want to be used by God. Gideon had no choice, but if he was going to be used by God, it was going to have to be God who did it. Maybe that's why God chose Gideon, I don't know. But he calls him a mighty warrior, and his response was, who, me? He calls him a rescuer, and he says, I'm the weakest of the weak. God said, just do what I tell you to do. The first thing I want you to do, Gideon, is I want you to tear down the idols. 
This is what he's saying to us today. You're a mighty warrior. I want you to be a rescuer. Here's how we're going to go about this. Tear down the idols. Gideon's response was, if I do that, my own people are going to kill me. They'll turn against me. God takes a step back and he says again, just do what I tell you to do. Just trust me, just do what I tell you to do. What he tells us to do this morning first is he says, tear down the idols. Take out of your life anything that's hindering you from putting him first. Deal with those things that are more important to you than God is. Deal with those things that you are absolutely convinced will bring you contentment and satisfaction and peace more than God would. It is a lie of our enemy. Only contentment, only peace, only joy can come in the spiritual realm and can come from God. And so God says to Gideon, first off, tear down the idols. And he did. He went and tore down the idols. It had an incredible impact on Gideon's father. He had never seen Gideon act like that before. And when the men of the village came to kill Gideon, it was his father that stood up for him. God was at work. That was unexplainable. That was supernatural. And then God says to Gideon, I want you to sacrifice one of the bulls. You know what Gideon said? We're really, really hungry, and that bull will feed a lot of people. God says to us today, I want you to worship me through giving. We're really, really hungry. What I give you could feed my family. What I give you could put gas in the gas tank. What I give you could... God says, trust me. I want you to worship me this way. I want you to worship me sacrificially. I want to show you what a great Savior I can be. And so Gideon sacrificed the bull. Then God says to Gideon, I want you to call all the men together. You know what Gideon said? They're not going to come if I call. This story of Gideon is an incredible story of God's love and patience to those he calls to serve. Isn't it? I mean, how many times is God going to sit there and, and listen to Gideon say, that's not going to work. You can't use me. We can't afford to do that. They're not going to come if I call. Who's going to protect me? How many times? Maybe you could place yourself in, in, in that place. Maybe you've eliminated yourself from God using you because you have said no to Him time and time and time and time again. 
And we see in this story of Gideon, Gideon God's incredible love and patience to those that he calls to serve. So Gideon called the men together. Why did they come when he called? 32,000 strong. It wasn't Gideon. It was God. Just six steps ago, five steps ago, God said, just do what I tell you to do. I am God. <laughs> and Gideon blew the horn and called the men and 32,000 came. The Midianite army is in the valley. 135,000 strong. And God's going to use Gideon to defeat the enemy with his 32,000 men. Gideon still has doubts. And Gideon begins to question God again. You need to show me a sign. I need to be sure about this. I, 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 I'm just, I, I don't know. And God was faithful to that, to that request. And, and God shows himself strong in a miraculous way. And Gideon once again feels empowered. And Gideon once again gets the vision of how God wants to use him. And then God comes to Gideon and he says, you got too many men. They're outnumbered four to one. 135,000, 32,000, four to one. You got, you got too many men. And Gideon's thinking, What? We're already outnumbered. And God says, trust me. God's way is not always logical. I think, that, I think we ought to go about ministry logically. I really do. I think we ought to get together. I think we ought to brainstorm. I think we ought to come up with good ideas. I, I, I think we ought to collaborate. And, 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 but when God says... This is what I want you to do. That takes precedence over logic. Why? Because he's God. Gideon, I want you to speak to the 32,000 men, and I want you to tell all of those who are afraid to go home. Are you sure, Lord? Because... They're scared. Trust me. So Gideon makes that pronouncement and 22,000 men went home. Now they're outnumbered 14 to 1. There's 10,000 left. And they're going up against an army of 135,000. God comes to Gideon who's beginning to doubt again. And you know what he said? Still got too many. You got, you got too many men. And so I want you to put them to a test, and I'll give you the test, and, and you just have them take this test, and those who pass the test, you keep as part of your army, and those who fail the test, send them home too. And so he gave the men the test, and 97 
hundred failed it. And now he's left with 300 men. If my math's correct, that's 145 to 1 odds. And Gideon again is beginning to doubt. And God's response to Gideon is this now you're ready. Now you're ready. Folks, we've got to get this today. God loves to work in the realm of the impossible. That's his MO. He loves doing what everybody doubts he can do. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. Alone. So he says to Gideon, it's time now to go and attack. And Gideon says, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is going to work? Am I talking to God? Am I really? Is it really you? God, once again, demonstrates his love and his patience. He says, okay, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. You and a couple of guys, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp, sneak it really dark at night, and I'll prove to you that I am God. And so he takes a a, a buddy of his, maybe two, and they, they go down and they sneak into the camp at night, and they've got their ear up evidently to a tent and they hear a couple of soldiers talking, a couple of Midianite soldiers talking and one of them says, I had this, this dream and it scared me. And the other one said, tell me about the dream. And, and he told them about a dream of, of a loaf of bread rolling down the hill to the valley where the Midianites were camped and that loaf of bread destroyed the entire camp. That was his dream. And his friend said, well, I, I can interpret that for you. That's, that's, that's God's um, way of using Gideon to destroy us. And Gideon overheard all of this. So now he's thinking to himself, he really is God. He really can do the supernatural. And so they make their way back to this band of 300 men. I wish we had more time this morning. I'd love to talk to you about these 300 men because, you know, I've always thought that these were the warriors of the group, right? Of the 32,000, these were the buff ones. They could run faster than anybody. They had training. I mean, they were a man's men kind of men, you know? And the more I thought about this story, I thought, well, that's kind of, that's kind of uh, inconsistent with, with the whole story. You know what? I think maybe these guys were fat guys. <laughs> and old guys. And, 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 and I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We, we won't know till we get to heaven. But I, I know this. God 
loves to work in the realm of the impossible. He goes back and he, he gets the 300 together and here's what he says to them. This is in Judges chapter 7. Beginning in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and he shouted, get up. The Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. He divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn and a clay jar with a torch in it. Not exactly a machine gun. I could ask my dear brother and friend Vic Reyes, who's working the AV force this morning, a retired colonel in the United States Air Force and a lot of experience in war if they ever issued their front-line men ram's horns and clay jars with torches in it. I don't need to do that because I know what he would say. God loves to work in the realm of the impossible. He issued them their equipment and then he said to them, keep your eyes on me when I come to the edge of the camp, do just as I do. As soon as I and those who are with me blow our ram's horns, then blow your horns too. All around the entire camp. And after you blow the horn, shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands and they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed Fled. True story. Happened just like that. Victory. Weak, weak, weak guy who just did what God said do. So here's the question. Let me ask you this first. Do you believe that? Do you believe that story? Let me ask you this. Can God do that today? Why haven't we experienced that here? It's either because He can't or because He can't find people who will simply do what He asks them to do. Well, Dale, I'm the weakest of the weak. I want to read you something real quick. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning in the 25th verse. 
tell me this isn't a Gideon kind of thing. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 25, this foolish plan of God is wiser. Then the wisest of human plans. God's weakness is stronger. God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few out of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Why? As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Yes, God can use you. He knows your past. He knows bad choices. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. Yes, God can use you. And I think that there's this part of the Gideon story that is relevant to us today. In that Gideon story, here's the plan. Clay pot, torch inside of it, hiding it. Horn in the other hand. Go down and blow the horn, break the pot, let the, let the, the torch flame up, and yell out for the Lord. Where do you see yourself in that? Where do you see yourself in that? What's the relevance of that? How, how do we grab hold of that? I want to read you this passage of Scripture and then we'll get ready to close. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. It was God who said, Let there be light in the darkness. He has made He has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. He is in us. He indwells us. He is the light. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. A clay jar hiding a light. That's who we are in that story. A clay jar hiding the light. Hiding a great treasure. A spiritual treasure. The answer in ministry. The greatest need of those who God calls us to involve ourselves in their lives. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. We are we are pressed on every side by troubles. You can say amen to that if you want. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. 
so that the light will shine through. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. We live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life. Now, listen to me. When Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, their, their troubles, their pressing on every side, their perplexion, their despair, them being hunted down, that, that, that was an incredible amount of persecution in the lives of that first century church. That, that, that's what Paul was talking about. But listen, we can relate to that too. Because there's not a one of us in here who doesn't need God's power in our lives to, to deal with the stresses of this life. So, so our, our, our brokenness can, can come from a boss who says to us, I'm sorry, but we got to let you go. Or it can come from someone in our family, maybe a spouse, who says, I don't love you. Or it can come from someone who we trust and who we love and who we're close to that, that, that stabs us in the back, that disappoints us, that says something about us that's not true. You can all relate to that. You've all experienced things like that. Maybe it's the doctor who says the diagnosis is not good. Broke my heart yesterday when I read the email from Scott and Christina Hall. They just found out on Friday that their daughter, McKenna, who was 15 years old, has stage 2 bone cancer. I think that's what Paul's talking about here when he says we're pressed on every side by troubles. We're perplexed. But we're never abandoned by God. And it's through those troubles that this clay jar that is our bodies is broken so the light that is within us can shine through. Things started happening for the Israelites in this Gideon story when in Judges chapter 6 and verse 6, it simply says this, they cried out to God. They were in despair. Nowhere else to turn. They had tried everything they knew to do for seven years. Let's not wait that long. Let's cry out to God. Let's allow Him to use. He's God and He can, and it's supernatural and it's unexplainable, but let's allow Him to use the difficulties in our life, the tragedies in our life, the consequences of bad choices in our life. Let's allow Him to use those things that are perplexing to us, that are crushing us. Let's allow Him to use those things to break this old clay jar so that His light can shine through. I believe Scott and Christina, I just, I'm believing this for them. I'm praying this with them. I'm believing that in this, in this incredible, difficult journey that's a part of their life, that Jesus Christ light that is within them is going to shine through and God is going to get glory. And God will use them to be a ministry to others.
And He wants to use you to be a ministry to others. That's why we're doing this. Next week, we're going to start this, this study about love. We don't talk about it enough. Because here's ways that God wants to use you. God wants you to love someone who's really, really unlovable. And you can't do that under your own power. And God wants you to love someone who has hurt you. God wants you to love someone who has turned their back on you. God wants you to love someone who has abandoned you. God wants you to love someone who's a bad neighbor. God wants you to love someone who has cheated you. God wants you to love someone who has lied about you and taken the position at the office that you thought you deserved. God wants you to love that person. God wants you to love. Why? Because he loved us. And so when we get ready to challenge ourselves with this kind of lifestyle, we've got to understand that we can't do that. We're too weak to do that. That he's got to do that through us. That's why we did status. To bring us to a place where we surrender ourselves wholly and totally to him and allow him, his light that was within us, allow him to do through us what we can't do ourselves. Let me invite you to stand. Would you bow your heads and you don't have to bow your heads and close your eyes to pray, but I just want to ask you to do that real quick.